If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. So I figure since I started this podcast, I should probably be sharing my story first. So for those that don't know me, my name is Alicia, and I have an almost two-year-old daughter called Alexandra, otherwise known as Lexi. I never thought that this is how I would end up a mother, but I was clear, probably from a really, really young age, that all that mattered to me was that I got married and that I had children. I didn't know what I wanted to do for a job. I sort of twisted between being a vet, a fashion designer, an actor, a chef, who knew? But all that mattered was that I found a husband, bought the house in the suburbs, and had a family. As a result, everybody that I kind of dated or got in a relationship with, I looked at as a potential husband. And I think my longest relationship was four and a half months when I was 15. That all changed at 24 when I met someone who I thought could finally be that person I could build that life with. We ended up moving in together when we were 25. We got engaged at 27 and at 28, we got married. We had an amazing month-long honeymoon in Europe, came back and then bought the big house in the suburbs. It needed a lot of work, but it was perfect. It was everything I wanted, the quiet cul-de-sac, four bedrooms plus a sewing room. It was great. Life was working out exactly as I had planned. We were only the second one and out of our group of friends to get married, so we decided to wait a year before we started um, trying for a family. In that time, a lot of our friends had got engaged, so we had their weddings to look forward to. And we just wanted that time to just live as a married couple and get used to what life was like with a nice big mortgage over our head. Over that first year, I also wanted to save lots of money. Neither of us really earned that good, and I wanted to be able to afford a year's off maternity leave, and obviously, naively, assuming it would happen quickly, we needed to save as much as possible, as quickly as possible. We also had about seven friends get married that summer, so that was quite expensive as well. I went off the pill prior to Christmas um, just to try and give my body a bit of a rest. We weren't trying to get pregnant, but we weren't doing anything to prevent it. We had an amazing summer um, with all those friends getting married. It was something on every weekend. It was really great. And prior to that, I'd actually read every book that I could find on what it was going to be like getting pregnant as well. I was fully psyched to when this happened, I knew what I was in for. What I didn't know what I was in for was that, you know, three months after everybody had got married, they all started announcing they were pregnant. We'd started properly trying at that point, so it's probably been six months since I'd gone off contraception and still weren't pregnant. So 
kind of every time someone else announced it, it just got harder and harder for me to take. After about a year, I decided to go back to the obstetrician gynecologist person who was also a fertility specialist kind of, who I had seen a few years prior when I'd had some precancerous cells removed. He'd done a cone biopsy and I thought he was a logical person given he'd done that treatment at the time. He didn't really do any tests or anything, but just basically decided that I probably wasn't ovulating, so put me on Clomid, which we did for three months um, in the hope that that would boost ovulation. That didn't work. I still weren't pregnant, and it was starting to take a bit of a toll on our relationship as well. So got to the point where we thought we probably we did have one friend who had needed to go into IVF, and we thought, you know, we need to start exploring this as well. But my husband just wasn't quite ready mentally to take that leap, so we decided to book... Um, an amazing holiday in America for a month. We'd had quite a lot of savings that that we'd been generating for the last few years for me to have maternity leave, and we obviously weren't needing it at that point. We'd have nine months on, which we were finally successful. So we decided to go to America on the proviso that I'd made an appointment with a fertility specialist for when we came back. Of course, I assumed we wouldn't need that. I'd be so relaxed on on um, our holiday that I would come back pregnant. Yeah, it didn't work out that way. So we ended up seeing the fertility specialist when we came back um, and he was amazing. So I didn't go back to the same one that I'd had previous, um, just gut feel. He didn't know what he was doing. He hadn't even done tests. We didn't know what was wrong. So I didn't want to go back to him. And I guess that's advice for anyone going through treatment is if you don't feel right with the specialist, leave and find a different one. You end up spending so much time with these people. It has to be someone that you really trust and get on well with. Um we had all the tests and things done then and there was nothing wrong with my egg reserves. We assumed the quality was okay as well and my husband's sperm was fine. So we attempted three rounds of IUI. The first one was just natural, um, closely monitored. The second one we used um, stimulation to see if we could get more follicles. And the third one we used um, stimulation again. The first one, when they went to do the IUI and insert the catheter, they had such a challenge getting it through my cervix and... Um, that afterwards they decided that because I wasn't successful in that round that we'd actually do another procedure. So I got knocked out and had what's called a cervical dilation. And it seems that the scar tissue from when I had that cone biopsy years ago was actually preventing my cervix from opening so the sperm couldn't get to where it needed to get to. So I thought, great, well, we've done that. Now we should be able to get pregnant easily. But yeah, two more rounds of IUI. The third round actually got pulled because it was too high a chance of multiples and they wouldn't proceed with it. So they decided it's probably best if we just move straight on to IVF. Um, so I went through my first round and had egg collection and everything went pretty well. We ended up with three embryos and one was a fresh transfer and then two blastocysts in the freezer. I didn't quite believe it, but they rung me on test day and I was pregnant. It was an amazing feeling. I didn't believe them. So I went out and bought a pregnancy test and peed on it just to see it change. I'd learned pretty early on after all of the different treatment and things that I'd gone through that I needed to take the day off or at least be working from home on days when I was getting the results after quite a few negatives initially when we were trying, which kind of destroyed my mental health. But then to be going through actual fertility treatments and still getting the negatives, it's just it was too much for me. The first time I did it, I was at work and I proceeded to just... We had a work function, I got really drunk and then like bawled my eyes out to an, an old high school friend who'd given me a ride home and yeah, it was not not a good concept. So I thought the stress of waiting for those results when you when it's a blood test is just better to be at home. So wrong man, I didn't didn't believe them, but I was pregnant. I went in for the, the seven week scan and there was definitely a heartbeat. So finally, after I guess two and a half years, we were we were pregnant, um, which was Amazing, but it still didn't quite seem real either. And I think it's because I've been through so much to get my 
to get pregnant in the first place. Tried to do all the right things to hope that it would sink in, so we waited until 12 weeks before we told all our friends and we had them around for dinner and then surprised it on them, which was fabulous. I did all the things um, in the nursery, decorated it, bought the cot and the change table and the pram and had already done all my research, so I knew what I was doing. And then we went for our 20-week scan and the sonographer said some weird comment about not having enough amniotic fluid, which I thought was weird. My obstetrician was actually upstairs, so we went and saw him and his... um, scanning machine wasn't working so he's like just come back in a week I'm sure it's fine just drink more water keep hydrated um we'll see you then so I went back a week later just for some reassurance that it was all okay and he went silent and couldn't hear anything on the machine and then he was like I'm so sorry guys but I can't find a heartbeat so at 21 weeks I'd learned that I'd lost the child that I was carrying I was going to have to be induced the next day and give birth to my child stillborn because we'd been through so much to get pregnant, we hadn't found out the gender. So instead, I learned that the next day after I gave birth to him. Um, so it was a little boy. My husband didn't really cope all that well with all of it. Um, but at the time, you can just kind of excuse it as grief because everyone processes things in a different way. And I remember someone saying to me, a woman becomes a mother the moment she gets pregnant. A guy becomes a father when the baby is born. So they don't quite bond to it. So I don't think he was really realised what he had lost at that point. We'd been through so much treatment and everything else. It just seemed like another, just another roadblock to get to the end goal that we wanted, to be honest. I took two weeks off work to process everything. Um, We had to have a funeral. We didn't have to have a funeral. We had a funeral. You had to have the baby either cremated or buried. So we had a small funeral. My husband would only allow that to be immediate family. Um, but then we had a wake afterwards so I could invite all of my friends and everyone I worked with, which was really great. So they could, it helped them process the loss as well. They'd obviously been through the journey with me and just didn't know how to be around me. Not most, most of them hadn't been through someone going through a stillborn to know, you know, how to cope. So it was really nice for everyone to come see that I was doing okay considering. And then it made the transition back to work a lot easier. My husband didn't want to use any of the names that we had chosen, um, or shortlisted for our son. So I chose Jeremy. It was a Name I'd always liked. I think I had a crush on a guy called Jeremy when I was at high school. Um, But when I looked at the meaning, it was God will raise him and God will set him free. And while I'm not a religious person, it just kind of all seemed to work. Went back to work on the Monday and on the Friday before that, my husband had a big night out with work. He'd been pretty adamant he wanted to do that. And you just assume as part of the grieving process, it's just what he needs to do to get through, have a bit of blowout with his good friends. So that made sense. On the Saturday morning, we had sex for the first time. And in my mind, I was kind of like, cool we're back on this journey hopefully we'll get pregnant soon you know maybe now the fact that I've been able to get pregnant and um given birth that maybe I'll be able to get pregnant naturally maybe we won't have to go through IVF again or use those embryos that we had a few hours later after he woke up post that um a bit hungover he'd said he wished we'd used a condom which was definitely not what I needed to hear at that moment in my head I just wanted to get pregnant again and get our family dream back on track so we had like probably a four hour deep and meaningful trying to process what it was um was it that he didn't want kids at all or just wanted to wait but if it was the decision that he didn't want kids at all I didn't see that we could have a future together um the rest of the weekend was a bit a bit interesting and on Monday I went back to work so the transition back to work was actually really good I worked with amazing people who made that a lot easier got home that night and my husband was quite late home but he had been quite a bit lately anyway because he had quite a lot on I walked in and had said that uh, he decided that we no longer have a future 
It took another half an hour to get out of him that he'd actually been seeing someone that he worked with and he'd hooked up with her on the Friday. So, yeah, there was no coming coming back from that. Um, I kicked him out that night, which he was quite surprised about. Strangely, he thought he'd be able to stay there. Um, and then we just went through the process of separating, selling the house and all the rest of those awful things. So it was a really, really tough time, um, but got through it and I had some amazing friends that really helped get the house sold and just support me, which was I'm just eternally grateful for. So I moved back with my parents for a little bit um, and once the dust settled financially and all that sort of stuff, I um, bought my own home and then started really pushing myself into work. I took up a secondment that I probably wouldn't have taken advantage of previously and just kind of tried to rebuild my life, get my health back on track, obviously lose the weight from from being pregnant, um, which was kind of that constant reminder of what I'd lost and I just needed to, to get as healthy as possible. I would say I tried dating. I don't know. For a while there, I just made some bad decisions, um, usually with too much booze. But, you know, you do what you do to process whatever's happening. Um, after a while, I did start dating. I went on all the online apps and all the rest of that. And all that did was provide entertainment for all of my friends. I didn't meet anyone even close. I did meet one guy through um, the bar downstairs. He was friends with the owner who I really, really clicked with, but he'd just come out of a relationship and I don't think I was in a good place either. When he ended it, um, he actually said to me, it felt like I was looking for my Ken to complete my Barbie dream house. So yeah, hindsight, I probably wasn't in a great place either, just trying to replace what I was lost. In my head, I was convinced I would be engaged by the time that we were divorced because you have to be separated for two years. I was not. I did quite a bit of travel by myself during that time and just tried to see the loss of my son as a gift and gave me a second chance at happiness. So making sure that I did all of the things that I thought of that I wanted to do. And one guy that I was seeing for quite a while, it was never properly a relationship. There was never any future, just a, an incredible friend. And I guess kind of guide during that time and um, helped me see, I guess, what other options there could be for my future. And as a result, um, I decided to to sell my house, to leave my job and to move to Australia, um, which is something I'd never would have considered in the past. But it's like, I've never tried living overseas. I don't know what out, what's out there. There's not much left for me in New Zealand. In your mid-30s, you kind of know all the single guys um, <laughs> in the same city and you know why they're single. So I thought if I want a chance of meeting someone and just having a new future, why not give it a go? If it doesn't work out, I can always move back. So seven years ago, I moved to Australia and... Um, took a while to get settled into a job my first job didn't really work out and then I got kind of my dream job that I'm currently still at which has worked out well but it was a job that ended up becoming quite all-consuming and working some very long hours for the first year or so um tried dating did not meet anyone didn't get anything close I think I had one guy that I went on four dates with just just no one I met that I had any sort of real connection with, which was a shame. I thought getting a job at a bank, I'd be surrounded by hot men in suits, surely I'll meet someone there, but the only single men that I met were all gay. Great for friends, not so great for a future husband. One thing I did do when I moved over was to actually go to the doctor and get my egg reserve levels tested. I was 35, I was wondering if whether I should be freezing my eggs or looking at those sort of options. The results came back and while they were low, they weren't dire and... At that stage, my mental state was it's more important for me to meet my other half, my partner, than it is to have children. So if the universe wants me to have children, it'll work out um, timing-wise that we're working with those egg reserve levels. So I didn't end up freezing them. Things changed, I guess, when my dad died unexpectedly. 
So I was 38 and I had to rush back to New Zealand. I managed to get a few days with him before he passed away, which was really amazing. And I had been seeing a guy for a few dates at that point. So there was kind of hope that maybe, you know, dad was leaving me and I'd met someone and everything would work out. My best friend at the time said to me, you know, it was really sad that my dad never got to be a granddad because he would have been an amazing one and that I'd be an amazing mum. And that just kind of hit me and I was like, you know what? The only thing I've ever really wanted was to be a mum. I thought that I needed the partner to do that, but if anyone can do this on their own, it's me. So screw it. I'm not getting anything close to a boyfriend, let alone potential husband or partner. So take matters into my own hands and do it. I knew based on my history that I would want to have a private obstetrician when I was successful. So the first thing I did um, that next day was to ring up and increase my health insurance so that it covered pregnancy and IVF. Not really knowing what that meant, but I knew that there was a 12-month waiting period, so I knew I had to to get through that. Stayed in New Zealand for a little bit to support mum and then moved back. And then it probably took realistically six months from the time of making that decision to actually having my first appointment. That guy that I'd had a few dates with, I was like, I'll give it to my birthday. Or I said, I think I said I'd give it till the end of June to see if it worked out with him. I knew that he didn't want any more kids. I got really clear that I did, but I thought I would just see what happened anyway. He broke out with me the day before my birthday. So that made that decision done, and then it was just a case of, right, I am doing this. I didn't really know anyone who had been through this. The closest I had was a girlfriend who tried to get pregnant with a sperm donor um, while we were on holiday in America. It was really hard in New Zealand in that time to get donation sperms, so she actually ordered it and had it delivered to our hotel, and we had to carry this thing that looked like, I guess, a gas cylinder around the different hotels with us, and she did a turkey baster while we went out and enjoyed dinner, and she'd join us later. Unfortunately, she wasn't successful with that treatment, and she's now gone on to have a baby with someone, so that's a good outcome. She got the child that she wanted, but I didn't know anyone who had been through it. I found a few forums and that sort of thing, but I had to do a lot of research. The primary thing um, was finding a good fertility specialist. After what I'd been through in New Zealand, I knew I wanted one that I trusted. But one of my couple friends were actually going through IVF as they needed to do genetic screening. And her husband was a GP and he'd done the research for me. So I just went to the same one that they went to. Immediately when I met him, I just really bonded and I thought, you know, this guy is going to help me get pregnant. I went into it thinking I would do two rounds of IUI. Um, And I knew what that was going to cost. And if it didn't work, then it wasn't meant to be. After talking with this fertility specialist, though, he's like, with your age, your history, and what you want to achieve, IUI would be a waste of your time. You're better off to do IVF. I knew from um, how my mental health had suffered previously when I was suffering from infertility that I had to put a hard deadline on it. So I decided I would do one round that I would completely fund of IVF and then I would have a backup once my insurance kicked in to give me a second round, but I would only do two. So I looked at the first round, I guess I had the counselling, I think November, and then I got the list for the sperm. And with the help of the couple friend I mentioned earlier, we decided on the donor on New Year's Eve. (laughs) Um, We'd had a few drinks, we'd gone out for a beautiful dinner and we just went through all the profiles We'd chosen one that we called Stavros because he was Greek and he sounded amazing. Went back and finished the counselling and then started IVF treatment. And then when it came to my round starting, they said that I'd actually been given the wrong list. I'd been given the IUI list, not the IVF list. So I had to quickly decide um, on a new donor. And from the list, that, and I'd already started treatment, so I kind of couldn't pull at that point. From the list I got, I didn't love any of them. So I guess I went with the, the best 
that was on there. So it was a real shame because in my head I was getting Stavros. That IVF round didn't go all that well and fertilization wasn't great either. Um, I remember getting the phone call and I was pretty disappointed with what was happening. In the end, it was determined that we our best chance was to transfer two embryos on day four. They weren't sure if they were going to make it to blastocyst stage or not, so we did that. Worst case scenario, it was none or it was twins. So in my head, I don't think none really sunk in. And then after the two-week wait, I could feel my period coming on and... Unfortunately, neither of them took, so I was not pregnant. I knew that I was going to do another round, but I was going to wait until after my insurance waiting period had kicked in because then that covered some of the hospitalization for egg collection. I had a bit of a wait, so during that time I had an incredible birthday month and did you know, wine tours and lots of dinners and lunches with friends. And I also came up with a bit of a plan B. I needed something that I could get excited about, so if plan A didn't work out, I'd still have something to get me distracted. And for that, I decided I was going to go to France and uh, drink champagne in champagne on my 40th, which was the next year. I started seeing an acupuncturist. I'd seen her just after transfer for support last time, and I probably should have seen her earlier. So six weeks before I started treatment, I went to her and we did um, a cycle to kind of just clear out my lining and give me the best chances to build a good new lining for the next round of IVF and just um, have some really good I guess, mental and physical support for all of that. She was a really great um, woman and she made me see about the power of feminine, I guess. And as a result, I decided to do things a bit differently this time, put the positive out into the world that this was going to happen and I wanted really cool stories that I'd be able to tell my future child um, about how they were conceived. So part of that was doing the donor selection. So for this time, rather than being a rushed last minute thing, which happened last time, I obviously tried to do it with my friends to have a great experience, but then it didn't turn out that way. Um, I got a few girlfriends around. I got all of the in-depth profiles from the ones that I wanted. So I think I had 20 to choose from. And by the time I'd narrowed them down to be the right ethnicity because I wanted my child to look like myself um, and taken out the obvious ones that didn't meet, I think we had 10 profiles to go through. I had champagne. I got a sperm cookie cutter and made like um, sperm cookies and caprese toasts and things for us to munch on. And I put a big chart up on the wall so we could go through, read each of the profiles and then put all of the demographic information onto the chart and any other um, things that came out of the profiles. I also cut out lots of heads from magazines so we would have to name them and put a head next to them so that when we were evaluating them to work out which one to go with, we would um, we would be talking about, you know, Jason or Roger or whoever it was. That was really, really fun. I had a good night with the girls and I think that convinced, you know, that's that's why it worked because they chose the donor. But reading through his profile of the one that I selected, I pretty much immediately knew when I read it that that was the right one. He wasn't on the list last time. Um, he'd just come on at that time. And a lot of his answers really aligned with me as a person. And it just, there was something in it. And once we evaluated all of them, you had to choose three. He was a clear front runner. And luckily I was able to secure his sperm. So that was amazing. And so went through that round of IVF and the egg collection was a lot more successful. Fertilization was better. So all round it was looking a lot more positive. Uh, had the transfer and then waited the two week wait. Well, actually I couldn't quite wait. And two days before the test day, I just had a weird feeling when I left work. And I was like... I wonder, if, I wonder if it's worked. So I decided to buy a pregnancy test on the way home, went home, peed on a stick, 
And, like, the only other time this has worked is after I was told I was pregnant. Like, there's never in my life that the lines have actually just turned and I didn't know that that's what the result was going to be. And I peed on the stick and, sure enough, there were two lines on it and it was incredible. So then when I did the blood test, it just um, confirmed that I was pregnant. And then going through my HCG levels and everything, they were where they wanted to be. So it was amazing. I had the seven-week sign-off and heard the heartbeat, which was incredible. And then I found an amazing obstetrician. Pregnancy-wise, um, it was really important for me to have a good obstetrician, so I went private. Um, with my history, I just wanted to have that extra protection, and I needed it. So early on, I had some bleeding, and I freaked out a little bit, and I rang them up, and they just got me in and organized a scan for me that day. And I had an, another scan a week later um, just to verify that everything was okay. Also, when it came to um, my son's anniversary, so at 21 weeks, I still wasn't feeling my baby kick. And I freaked out a lot. It was over, like, really close to Christmas. And they said, you know, I rung them. And I was like, what am I doing? Just don't be stupid. So I rung them, and they got me in that day. Um, the obstetrician didn't normally turn the heartbeat um, noise on when she did scans, but she did for me, and I just burst into tears because I was convinced that, you know, it was over and there was nothing there. And she gave me a big hug, and she was just so supportive. If there's anything I needed, she was there for me. So if you have history and are worried, I can highly, highly recommend having a really amazing obstetrician. And again, if you don't have a good feel with the person, you're going to have to see them a lot and they are responsible for getting you and your baby through this. So don't be afraid to change to a different one. Um, I also wanted to make things quite different for this pregnancy and make it just really celebratory and, yeah, just different from last time. I didn't find out the gender of my baby until, unfortunately, I'd given birth to him last time. So I did a proper gender reveal. My obstetrician, after the NIPT results, wrote it in an envelope and I gave it to someone. They organized a balloon for me. In my head, I was convinced it was a boy. I really wanted a girl, but I was convinced it was a boy and I knew exactly what it was going to look like. It was going to be fine. So I think once I popped that balloon, it took like 10 seconds for me to realize that it was actually pink confetti coming out of it, not blue. Um, kind of perfect just to be the girls. I'm a really small family. I'm an only child. It's just me and mum now. She's got one sister who also lives in Melbourne who never had any kids. So it's kind of nice that it's just all the girls. Not sure my mum would know what to do with a boy. And so everything was trucking along quite well. I ended up with gestational diabetes, but kind of almost expected that with my age and my history and my family history of diabetes. And um, Ended up on insulin. It wasn't lifestyle related, so I did all the right diet and it still didn't stop my placenta from overproducing. So I ended up on insulin overnight. But when you've had as many needles as I've had, who cares about a little bit of insulin? Um, as a result of my age, the fact that I was IVF and the gestational diabetes, I was never going full term. I was always going to be delivering around 38 weeks. Um, and for a while, it was looking like I was going to have to be a C-section because of where my placenta was placed. Let's go, I think it was seven weeks prior to when I gave birth. Um, I had an amazing baby shower. My best friend came over, really great day celebrating with everyone um, and just one of those memories that I'm so glad that I got because the next week we went into lockdown. So that's when the pandemic really started in Australia. So very lucky that my best friend had got here. Very lucky I got a baby shower as most people didn't. Um, but then, yeah, it all turned a little bit weird. My mum had planned on being here for the first month. I I wasn't concerned with having anyone in the room with me. I was pretty happy and convinced I was just doing it by myself anyway, which I'd basically done with my son. Um, so that didn't bother me at all. But it would have been nice to have that extra support at home. But that was not to be because no, but all the borders closed, everything else. 
And so I actually asked my obstetrician, given it was most likely going to be a caesarean, could we just book in a date and then it's either caesarean or induction because I was never going full term. So at least I had that date. Um, I ended up working up until the day before. I mean, I couldn't leave the house. I wasn't exactly tired. (laughs) All I did was leave for one hour a day to walk the dog, quite a slow walk, almost waddle at that point. Um, But I wasn't tired. Everything was so organized because that's just my nature anyway. So it was a pretty relaxing last few weeks, apart from obviously the, the external chaos of what was happening in the world. So I worked up until the day before, um, then that day I took the dog to the kennel, I came home, fully cleaned the house and got everything all settled for when I came back and then my neighbour took me to the hospital. I ended up being induced um, as my placenta had moved, which was great, and so they put the gel on that night and I just settled in, had a nice sleep. Woke up the next morning, I think I ended up having an epidural about 11am, they broke my waters about 8am and the contractions started coming quite regularly after that so I got the epidural at 11 and then just spent the rest of the day watching reality baking shows on tv really until it was time to push at about 5 p.m baby had been getting a little bit distressed during some of the contractions so they were keeping an eye on her um, and when I went to push the baby just wasn't distending um, and the obstetrician got me to stop and she was just worried that potentially the cord was around the baby's neck and maybe that it happened during the distress during the day. So I ended up taking me to theatre um, where it was confirmed that the cord was around her neck so I was booked in for an emergency C-section instead. Um, a lot of drugs to get me numb enough to be able to do that and I did not react all that well to them. I just remember like thrashing wildly and vomiting which was not pleasant. Actually... I guess delivering her um, all still a bit of a blur now. I remember them giving me a screen so that I could watch them taking to weigh her and things like that while they were sewing me up. And then they put her on me and I was just so worried about hurting her because I was just shaking so violently and vomiting. Um, But because I was by myself, this is in full pandemic, no one could visit you anyway, but I couldn't even have a birth partner if if I wanted, I don't think at that point. Um, They managed to get her into the night nursery for that first night. It was usually closed except for extreme cases, but because I was by myself, they could do that. And I remember waking up and there was someone in my room with my baby and just like burping her. And to me, it felt like hitting her so violently. I was like, oh. Um, But I had absolutely looked after so well. So it was at Epworth that I had her. Um, All of the doctors and midwives and everything were just amazing. At the paediatric chicken the next day, uh, they noticed that she had what's called a sacral dimple. So it's um, just at the top of kind of her bum crack, an extra dimple. So we had to go through a few ultrasounds and things to make sure it wasn't a sign of some sort of spinal condition or spina bifida. Luckily, we got the all clear for that, but it was that was a little bit stressful. When technically I wasn't actually allowed to go with her due to lockdown, but they managed to force it and just happen. So I think, and then five days, I think I spent in there and then my neighbor picked me up in my car, which was wonderful. Um, early days at home, a bit weird, all by yourself, not quite what I was expecting, but I'd been so organised, kind of planning for just in case that did happen. I had the freezer stocked with lots of nutritious meals um, and I'd done baking and everything, so it was all pretty easy. I'd made these like portable nappy caddies that I could carry around the house. I guess I planned for worst case scenario, which was what if it is a caesarean um, and had all the things in place for that, which was lucky. My friend who I hadn't seen in a few years had actually heard that I was giving, um, having a baby by myself. And so she, I wouldn't want to say forced herself on me, but basically said, I don't care what the rules are. I'm coming to make sure that you're okay. And she came around a few nights um, and just helped out with 
you know, just taking the baby off me for a little bit so I could have a shower because I wouldn't know what to do at that point. She helped me work out how to bath the baby um, because <laughs> I hadn't really thought it through. I'd bought a pop-up bath and just assumed I would do it on the kitchen bench. I'm five foot two. Even without a cesarean, there's no way I was doing that. Um, but she helped me work through that sort of stuff and she'd made me food and just make sure that I sat and ate, um, which was amazing what I needed. But most of the time it was just the two of us. We'd spent most of the day in bed um, because we couldn't go anywhere anyway. So she was sleeping in the bassinet next to me and it was just kind of sleep, eat, repeat. You hear that's what it's like, but you don't really appreciate it. Um, I think I just watched, binge watched a lot of shows like Shit's Creek and Desperate Housewives and yeah, we just lived really quietly. I'd left the dog in the kennels. I booked him in for a few weeks so that I could get used to it and ended up extending it because of my C-section because he was a French bulldog and I just could not have um, handled him with my injury recovery and then people were coming to visit and we'd go for like little walks and they would take the dog and I would push the pram until I got stronger. The recovery wasn't nearly as bad as what I thought it would be, the pain medication. Um, it wasn't really painful, it was just kind of hard to move and slow but it was just the two of us so we didn't have to worry too much. Then I guess because of the pandemic things were a lot different than I expected they would be in the early days. We didn't really have a mother's group. It, we were one of the first to meet online which isn't really the same. You weren't really meant to meet in public so I organised, kind of went out of my way to organise walks with people like just one at a time to get to know people um, and we weren't having maternal health nurse checkups in person either. I ended up forcing one for my four month um, mark because I just, I just wasn't sure if everything was going right, we'd have a, had a few um, issues with feeding prior to that and it wasn't so much that she wasn't feeding properly, she just wasn't feeding often enough so she wasn't gaining enough weight. I ended up buying scales and checking her every week myself. You get a little bit stuck in your own head with, with some of that sometime. Um, and the paediatrician that I'd been going to, um, just to make sure since we weren't getting maternal health nurse appointments, had suggested that we start um, co-feeding as well. So I was doing um, some formula as well as some breast milk and that was a lot better on me mentally. At least I knew she was getting some stuff in and the scales helped. At the four-month appointment, the maternal health nurse made some comment about her clicky hips and why hadn't I noticed that. I was like, I'm a new mum. I have no idea what I'm looking for. But it turns out that after an ultrasound and an X-ray that she had um, quite severe hip dysplasia, we went into a Dennis Brown bar for a while and I think that was more the paediatric surgeon just wanting to give me a chance before she had to go into a spiker and I think he probably knew that she was going into a spiker anyway. So a spiker is a full body cast from I guess halfway down your chest to down both legs. She was so adaptable and everything else though that she was absolutely fine and she even worked out how to crawl in it. Um, so that was a bit of a journey and at that stage I was still by myself. My mother finally managed to move over just before Christmas that year so she finally got to meet her granddaughter at seven months which is definitely not how we intended it, but pandemic had other ideas. So mum moved over and we got her apartment, a 10-minute walk, which is fabulous. She thought that she was moving over to become a full-time grandma. I was quite keen that she have at least one day at daycare a week so that she could have that socialisation aspect. We hadn't really built the community that I expected that we would through mother's group to have those play dates and that sort of thing, and they wouldn't have probably done that with mum anyway. So in May, I went back to work full-time, um, it's not really an option for me to do part-time, um, either financially or for my role, and I was okay with that, um, but mum wasn't feeling that great my first week back, so I put Lexi in extra daycare, and then I went back to work on the Monday, and on the Wednesday I was taking her to hospital, and she ended up there for a couple of weeks with pneumonia, and then it took her quite a few months to get over that, um, so she wasn't looking after Lexi at all, and it was basically full-time 
daycare and juggling work um, and not all days I could get her into that extra care. I managed to get into three days and then we're waitlisted for the other two. So there were a few days where Lexi was joining us for meetings and that was a bit of a challenge, but everyone having been in lockdown and working from home for so long, we're pretty used to kids being in meetings, so it didn't really matter. It was fine. Mum is now at the stage where she has her two days a week and she's still in daycare three days and she's just thriving in daycare, so I wouldn't change a thing. So that was that's kind of our story up until now I'm still working full-time and probably will continue to always Uh, people ask if I've considered dating and there is no time to be doing anything like that like I can't think of anything worse than wasting my time sitting on an app trying to meet someone so if they come into my life organically great but if not I'm fine just the two of us Um, she's getting to an age now where we're starting to do lots of adventures like we went to the aquarium and that sort of thing which is it's really fun to see her learning and growing and just new words coming out every day and she's just getting to a really cool age now. I wouldn't want to miss out on any of that because I'm spending time with someone else. So I'm fine not dating for for quite a while. I guess the other things that I would think about of if I wanted to give anyone advice that's going through this, um, if you're considering it, go get your test done. Understand what your options are. If you're over 35, understand whether you've got the luxury of time to make this decision or you should be doing something about it now. I would say when you are successful for those first few days coming back home, just try and be as organised as possible and set yourself up assuming it will be a caesarean and then have the freezer stocked and have, you know, two of everything so you're not having to walk around too much. And then if you don't have a caesarean, it's not going to matter. But if you do, then you're going to be well prepared. I guess from a financial point of view, I was lucky that I had some inheritance, which meant that I, I could afford this and I could afford to have a year off. I can't afford to have a second child and it's not something that I am looking to do anyway. Lexi did have a sibling um, that was a frozen embryo and I had to make that decision quite early on and I wasn't back at work then. So it was weighing up whether I want to spend this, the storage fee and have that option or whether it's just going to be the two of us. And I think I decided at that point I want to be able to give her absolutely everything, um, my time as well as financially. So it's just, it just wouldn't work with another baby. Maybe at some point I'll meet someone and they'll have kids and that's how she'll get siblings or maybe she'll want to meet her donor siblings in the future and she'll get siblings that way. But otherwise it's just going to be the two of us. I'm an only child so I don't really realise what she's missing out on I suppose is the other part of that as well. When you are going through, you are going to see your fertility specialist a lot. You're going to see your clinic a lot trust your gut if it's if you don't have a good vibe from them find a different one these people are responsible for your dreams coming true and you don't want to have a reason to say well I didn't like them and it didn't work out or you didn't feel comfortable just trust your gut on that one and if you're thinking about it just do it it's the best decision by far I ever made it's certainly not the way I thought I'd have kids but now I wouldn't have it any other way we have just such an amazing life just the two of us and I'm so grateful I guess that my dad passed when he did that I made that decision at that time because if he was still here I don't know if I would have been triggered to do it and then maybe it would be too late so don't wait just get onto it and there is so much support out there through the Instagram community and everywhere else just look for the hashtag SMBC and follow along and don't be afraid to ask people questions they're so supportive and encouraging and it's this amazing little community that's getting created I guess the only other things on reflection that I've learned that I didn't know going into this is I feel anyway that I'll always be a little bit different because we're not a traditional family. And it's not necessarily in a bad way, it's just on certain things that you don't quite realise. So I guess if my friends that are families are looking to do something with people on the weekend, 
they automatically look to other families that are built the same. So if they've got a husband, they want someone else with a husband to be there as well. So they've got their companionship. So I feel like I do get left out of a few things or I'm just not a logical first choice. And that took me a little bit to process. And I think as a result now, a lot of my village and closer friends are other people that are single or solo mums. And I guess it's because we are the same sort of family construct. And again, you know, you don't have the husband sitting there with no one to talk to but we had the same challenges in life so we can support each other. And it's different things that we have to deal with. And then it's other things like the traditional male roles or dad roles that you're having to play as well. So it's like swimming lessons on the weekend. I'm the only female. Otherwise, it's just the dads with their kids. And it's like, oh, just little little moments like that. It's not a problem. It's just the little reflection moments that you have along the way that I will be who everything. And that's completely okay. So I decided to start this podcast to help other people like me when they were starting out to hear other people's stories and what they've been through in the hope that something will resonate or just help them make the decision of whether this is the right path for them or not. All of the women I've interviewed so far have such different journeys and different thought processes as to why they've gone through this. Also different conception journeys um, and how they've even experienced pregnancy and then life in the early days. So I hope you enjoy listening to their stories as much as I enjoyed interviewing them. And I hope this will be a great resource for, for you moving forward. I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.